pravých mužů zóna, karty šustí kulky psučí, krávici tu plně pučí, cítím se v té pohodě, jako ryba ve vodě. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Hi, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing fairly well. I'm I'm alive, and I'm in the same room as you. I'm looking at you right now, and I, I, I've survived whatever perils have happened in the interim of episodes, and I'm here excited to talk about a movie that's come recommended. Yes, you survived the trolls. <laughs> I survived... Sorry, the goblins. <laughs> I survived Nilbog yes. from last week's episode. <laughs> we are here to talk about a movie that's come recommended. I have recommended the movie for this one. You recommended last week's, I recommend this week's, and then next week it's our listening people's suggestion. Oh, organized structure. We are organized, we are structured. We are, for this one, we're going to be covering the 1964 Czech and or Czechoslovakian film Lemonade Joe. But we are not alone on this one. We we wouldn't dare cover Lemonade Joe on our own. We need to to ingratiate other people into the world of Czechoslovakian cinema and into the world of Lemonade Joe. Well, I'm looking around the room and are you talking about the that We do have people on, on a call, Bartek. We oh. we called in some experts. Yeah. Some some people who always have very strong opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bartek, tell everyone who can't read the title of the episode who our guests are. I can't read either, but thankfully I know what it says. We are joined in this episode by the hosts of the Contrarian podcast, Alex and Julio. Hello, fellas. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I guess we're, we're the Western people now. We're the official Western guests on your show. <laughs> I mean, you are from the biggest country of the West, America. And we're from Texas, <laughs> sort of. Are you wearing cowboy hats as we record this? Stetsons. Oh, yes, Stetsons. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate a Stetson as well. Are you wearing boots? Your boots with, with your well, spurs? Well, we're, we're in our home uh, right now, so it means we're not wearing a hat or shoes, but we do have our, our uh, belts on, which we both sides holstered guns, and then we have our AKs strapped across our chest. So that's just how the Texans live in their homes. Yeah, and I don't know about Alex, but uh, I'm I'm wearing my uh my warm woolies, <laughs> <laughs> and and you're wearing your horses nice and low. So um, tell us all about what you guys do on the Contrarians, and of course, just just so we get this all out of the way, which one's which? Who's Julio? Who's Alex? Just so we all are on the same page. We don't want any mistranslations. Well, I'm here. the one who sounds like he would be named Alex, and Julio is the one that sounds like he would be named Julio. Just to break it down, pretty, uh, pretty uh, standard or just uh, to its most elementary quality. But no, I'm Alex. Julio's the other one. Uh, Julio, what uh, what do we do on the Contrarians? Uh, the Contrarians, we uh, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Uh, in fact, Ryan and Bartek had been there once. Mm. They raged against uh, the original uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. What we do is uh, we take a movie's tomato meter score. Um, if it's fresh, we argue against it. We we talk about the movie as if it was mm. rotten, as if it was a bad movie. If it's a rotten movie on the tomato meter score, we argue for all the good things on it. We we talk about it as if it was fresh. 
And then on the second half of the show, we tell you how we really feel. It is a lot of fun, as you probably knew uh, if you uh, listened to the the Secret Life of Walter Mitty episode, where uh, the first half, all four of us were trashing it. And then in the second half, it was <laughs> Ryan and Bartek telling us how wrong we were for not being crazy about it. Yeah, it was what, fun. What fools you are. And what are some examples of some really acclaimed films and some really poorly received films that you've had to give the contrarian well, treatment Julio to? Well, Julio said it's it's fun, which that is not <laughs> always the case. There's been some real stinkers that we've had. Um, I mean, back in our inceptual days, we did Paul Blart Mall Cop. Trying to make that movie sound good is, you know, uh, a very daunting task and not one that I recommend to anybody. Uh, I guess... We uh, modern times, we've done a hundred percent movie before, and just made a case for why Charlie Chaplin wasn't as charming and funny as a lot of people thought he was. Um, recently, I don't. Know. I mean, very recently, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, uh, Duplex, which I think Ryan likes, or at least he. We likes... did it on the pod, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We loved it. We loved Duplex. And you were fools. Fools. That, Polish hey, we, for at least for half the show, we pretended to love it. That movie so was that's something. torturous. But we always get really fun dichotomies. Like we did um, the Hulk Hogan vehicle, No Holds Barred from 1989, which I love in a very campy way. And just it was like mm. pulling Julio's toenails out with pli- pliers, him watching that movie. So uh, it, it's uh, it can lead to some interesting uh, discussion. And, um, yeah, we always have a good time. I have to explain to Julio why movies like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacres are amazing. And he uh, mm. he goes on about what he goes on about. And I just, you know, scroll my Twitter feed. But Yeah, yeah. Winona Ryder is Julio's whole deal. Yes. <laughs> well, she certainly was for 2020. Uh, a couple of years ago, John Travolta was our, our, our guy. Yeah. So... And, yeah, every now and then we'll we'll do uh, little arcs. Sometimes some bigger than others, but uh, I, I would recommend a Paul Giamatti summer. Ooh. You will never go unhappy. <laughs> Paul delivers all the time, but he's he's yeah, your guy. I, I gotta feel like Paul Giamatti is, is your thing. I don't want to step on your uh, you know on your toes. Oh, your right, Giamatti toes, right. as they were. You can you can have Bruce Cook, the star <laughs> the star of one single film. Thunderpants, in which a boy farts so hard he can fuel rockets to go to space. Ryan, I'm not sure if y'all. Amazing. I'm not sure if y'all have done it on the podcast, but are you are you a fan of Win Win? I've tried to get Julio to do Win Win on the podcast. I don't know Win Win. Oh, that's that's Paul Giamatti. Yeah, that's uh, Paul Giamatti. He's a high school like PE uh, coach, I believe, or a teacher, and he kind of takes this boy under his wing and trains him to be a. Amateur wrestler and like um, it's Paul Giamatti, uh, Bobby Cannavale's in it. It's it's a hell of a journey. I, I definitely recommend y'all check it out. Maybe that could be the next crossover episode. Well, hopefully. I mean, our next Paul Giamatti movie has always been stated as The Nanny Diaries, of course, <laughs> the famous film with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Good lord, we're going down this road. Let's let's get back on the road of the film we are going to be discussing today. We are going to be discussing the 1964 film from Czechoslovakia, former Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic, Lemonade Joe. This is a film that if you have not seen it, which I won't deny is a great possibility because most people, English speaking, have probably not seen this film. European people have most, uh, most likely at least heard of it. It's very popular there from my understanding. 
if you have not seen it, this film is available. It is available pretty easily. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, last I checked, uh, the transfer of it was a little lackluster and the subtitles were a little less polished up than in other places, but that may have improved. Alex uh, watched it on Amazon Prime, so he can talk about how that experience was. Apparently, the film is on YouTube now. Uh, so you can even watch this on YouTube with English subtitles as well. And I'm not saying that the film is surprisingly easy to find through <laughs> other darknet type means. I'm not saying... <laughs> darknet. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that it's surprisingly easy to find that way. And I wouldn't recommend that you do that, but apparently it is. And I'm not saying that I know for a fact, but apparently it is. I'm not, you know, and DVD-wise... If you want any, if you're a person like me that likes to find physical media, do your research with Lemonade Joe because there's two copies of that. One that's a shitty transfer and one that's a good one. So there you go. Uh, you made one mistake. And how can you even tell? Oh, oh God. Tell. Here we go. This is <laughs> Julio does this shit. All, I can swear on here, right? No, you fucking cunt. <laughs> You can't swear. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. Julio does this shit all the time with me about transfers. That's like a regular occurrence on the contrarians about, oh, how can you tell what's a good transfer and what's not? Uh, I'm I'm glad to be in similar company that you understand what necessitates or what qualities a good transfer has versus a bad one. Well, that's true. I was just referencing the fact that the the aesthetic of this movie would make it harder to know if what you're watching is a poor transfer or if it's actually what the filmmaker intended. Well, we can talk about that. Traditionally, uh, you know, traditionally shot, I would say. So, Lemonade Joe, if you have not seen it, listening people, go check it out. Go watch it. We're going to discuss it. It's really easy to find. You have no excuses. We definitely say give it a watch. It may or may not be your thing, but it is definitely a thing that most people have not experienced in their life before. And we say, just watch it yourself and come back. Uh, I would love it, Alex, if you could tell us the synopsis, the plot of Lemonade Joe. Just as a quick refresher, give us a quick rundown of the plot of Lemonade Joe. Gladly. Um, It is... uh... Basically, the overview is it's a a satire of a Western, but the story of this particular movie is of this town in Arizona in the late 1800s that's Mm. overwrought with uh, whiskey and, you know, just absolute chaos, pandemonium, horrors, all the the, the whole the whole gamut uh, when it comes to the the prototypical Western and um, a known gunman, a a member uh, of law enforcement, a man of the law, uh, Lemonade Joe comes to town and basically is um you know the women are smitten with him uh the men fear him but he's really just a man that's there to peddle his product the is it um cola loca lemonade cola loca yeah. cola loca yeah he's a he's a a soda pop salesman that's just there to sell his soda across town which is lemonade and through that it gets him into these series of scenarios um with the uh, the brother of the man who ro- uh, runs the local whiskey uh, bar and who's a magician and <laughs> yes. uh, he's his last name is is it Badman Bad Guy yes. Badman <laughs> Badman <laughs> Badman yeah so the story the story is uh, basically the story of capitalism this guy comes in to make sure his product overtakes the town and he'll 
crush anyone that gets in his way because of it. And he won't even kill them. If someone crosses him, the worst indignance he can do is make them say they'll use his product. And, uh, and it, but it's also like this weird blazing saddles type comedy that's 10 years ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a there's many many layers to lemonade joe but at its core it's a story of a salesman who came into town to take it over exactly right bartek he just gave us the plot rundown of it but could you give us a little rundown of what lemonade joe is in the context of what lemonade joe is in terms of when and where and why this exists can you do that or is that too complicated (laughs) Can I do the thing that you thoroughly researched, you're asking? Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> this film is a film made in Czechoslovakia when it was under the um, the iron boot of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. This film is a film that was made when Czechoslovakia was a satellite state, a Marxist, communist, Leninist, socialist state of the Soviet Union. It is exactly as uh, Alex described it. It is a satirical western um, made under that umbrella, uh, it is a harsh critique of uh, capitalism, but also, if you really want to, it's also a scathing critique of communist rule as well. This is a film that dips its toes in both waters depending how you look at it. But most importantly, this is a part of a genre called the Red Western, which is westerns made by Soviet countries. Um, which is a genre all on its own. Uh, So when you watch this film, you may not know that, but you will quickly realize that as you watch the film as it goes along, because its ideals are not as the same ideals as what you would see in a traditional Western that this is obviously aping off of. As Alex said, Lemonade Joe is supposed to be your gunslinging good guy lawman, but in fact he is a horrible, narcissistic, capitalist pig dog that is only invested in profit and does not give a shit about anyone other than himself, practically. And if he does, it is just to further his own capitalistic agenda. (laughs) And the bad guys are just bad. They just don't like that this capitalist guy is coming in telling them that they have to drink the product, which in this movie is lemonade. They take the most puffy, innocent soda pop, all fizz, all no taste kind of product and use it as an imagery and as a tool to have a commentary on Western ideals. That's the context of this film in some way, shape or form, and we'll talk about it more so. Uh, Julio, Alex, obviously I'm going to ask what's your history and relationship with this movie and imagine you're not going to have a large one, but just to further that, what is your history and relationship with foreign cinema as well? Well, uh, well, yeah, take it, Julio. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't know that as far as this film, I think Alex and I have the same history, which is like you told us about it. <laughs> Before mm. that, we didn't know it existed. Um, but as far as uh, foreign cinema, I mean, I. I was lucky enough to uh, grow up in a in a city that, while you know, I'm, I'm originally from Peru and uh, I grew up in the capital. And while it's true that basically the uh, while I was growing up, at least 
the exhibition was mostly dominated by uh, American product, by movies from the United States, uh, there was still there were spaces that would show just world cinema. And so growing up, I was I was exposed to some of it, at least. I think sometimes I, I talk to my friends here in the States, and it seems like it was a lot harder, uh, depending on the, where they grew up, to find that opportunity. You know, back before the internet, back before anything, you know, could you watch uh, a movie from somewhere that wasn't the United States in theaters? And uh, so I had that opportunity. Uh, that said, I had never seen anything like this movie before, <laughs> which was uh, pretty refreshing. But I, you know, I grew up uh, reading subtitles. I, you know, I was like, I'm not averse to watching uh, foreign cinema. In fact, I enjoy it. And I wish I did more of it. But of course, uh, my priority usually seems to be catching up with whatever the uh, North American market is producing before I move on to something else. Yeah, um, for myself, it's having grown up in America, especially Midwest America, it's, you know, uh, as a child, I didn't know there were movies that weren't Star Wars or Terminator or something like that. So it wasn't until I kind of got to college and really reached out and stretched my bounds that I really learned about foreign cinema. While Julio was talking, and when you uh, posed the question, I was really trying to think hard about what the first foreign movie, uh, foreign to me, I should say, movie I watched from cover to cover was. And I, I think it was Audition, the um, Asian <laughs> yes. horror film. And um, yeah, so th- th- I think that's kind of disturbing in and of itself. But uh, yeah, since probably about the age of college, I've tried to integrate foreign cinema as much into the, you know my proverbial ether as I can. Uh, Julio and I just uh, did an episode, a, a two hour long discussion about blue is the warmest color the other night. So uh, it's, uh, I think a good portion of, you know, especially my Criterion movies I own, I tr- I try to branch out as much as I can. That all being said, uh, like, like Julio said, even with my somewhat limited knowledge of foreign cinema and history, I didn't really have too much familiarity with Lemonade Joe. And so coming into it, I, you know, coming off of Pale Face, I wasn't quite sure what to expect with uh, the spit and polish recommendations. And this movie kind of blew my mind, to be completely honest. So I'm, I'm kind of glad I discovered this area and then covered this blind spot i was gonna before i get to you bartek i was gonna ask and you kind of answered in a minor way are there any particular countries or genres that you like exploring or want to explore more from foreign cinema and you kind of touched upon you watched audition which i was gonna say before we record i was saying to bartek i bet you if i ask this question Alex is going to say horror movies from from Asia or other countries are kind of his jam. <laughs> right. That's pretty endearing that that you've gotten to know him so well basically through our show. Oh, and when he's been on our pod before, when we talked about uh, one of the previous times we've talked on one of our podcasts, we talked about uh, we want we want a good website that tells us what the proper cut of a movie is. And Alex, you right. brought up horror movies being a great example of a genre that really needs that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if there's a specific uh, region of the world or genre that I, I need more uh, exposure to. I feel like the majority of my foreign film knowledge does lie in the, the French uh, area that seems, especially over the past decade, that seems to be where uh, a lot of movies come in from. I think there's a lot of, um, 
uh, mid 20th century Japanese movies. I really feel that I need to catch up on or just not catch up because it's fucking 50 years ago. But you know what I mean in the sense of just for my own knowledge and uh, education. Um, Julio, is there a specific time period or country you feel like you're lacking in? Or genre? Uh, well, I know that I, I struggle with Asian cinema in general. Uh, there's something about, uh, you know, like the, all the all the great hits, all the, the Asian movies that most cinephiles will tell you need to watch. Uh, I, I have trouble, like, getting into them. Sometimes it works wonderfully. Sometimes it doesn't, like... Going back a little bit to horror, I, I guess something like the host. Everybody loves the mm. host, and uh, when I watch it, I just I couldn't get into it. I uh, the tone of it just doesn't jive with me. Like more recently, uh, Okja when it was released on Netflix. I mean, mm. I know that was a little more divisive, but still, you know, it was something that I watched it and I'm like, I get it and I get why somebody would like it, but it just doesn't 100 percent work uh, for me. So that's always kept me from trying more. Uh, and but it's something that I, I would like to get to the point where I just I manage to get on its wavelength and just enjoy the way that other people do. Um, and I think it's just a matter of just tasting more of it, you know, experimenting more. I mean, I love Parasite hmm. uh, last year and that kind of renewed my commitment to uh, I need to keep trying <laughs> because if, you know, I watch 10 movies and out of those 10, one, it's like Parasite, then it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, people people loving South Korean cinema over the last few years with movies like Parasite, like Burning, like uh, The Handmaiden. The Handmaiden. There are a few great mm-hmm. films coming out from over there. And uh, the Snowpiercer being far more an American one, but that kind of introduced more Western audiences to that director and kind of made people want to go back and look at his work too. So there's obviously been a greater appreciation for, for South Korean and Asian cinema, obviously Parasite winning the best picture, a big splash in that regard. Um, I know you, Bartek, you're far more of an Asian cinema lover than I am in terms of you like your anime stuff and you like Bollywood, which is the big one. You're the big Bollywood guy, which none of us have even mentioned in any of this discussion. (laughs) One of the biggest film industries in the world. None of us wanted to touch. Yeah, possibly the biggest. I haven't watched much uh, lately, but yeah, I, um, I do try to watch foreign cinema wherever I can. In fact, on this podcast, every six weeks, I make myself pick one. It's I struggle sometimes just trying to find the right ones, but you know I'm not sure that I've failed yet. Last week I guess Troll Two is sort of American, but we argued for its Italianness. Yes, um, we even have a running joke right now that there's a French African film I remember liking and I want to recommend at some point, but I can't find English subtitles for it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I I my answer though would be pretty similar to Alex though. I'd I'd want to try to branch out just wherever as much as I can. I have a complete blindness for French cinema. Whenever people say, oh, you like foreign cinema, it's very similar to what Alex kind of mentioned, where there's a big, you know, if you're a film person, French cinema is always very important, but I've never really touched much of it. I've always ventured out into um, Korean cinema, even before it became as popular as it did. One of my first foreign films was uh, the original Old Boy. Um, I remember seeing that like a year or so after it came out and it just blew me away. And I was like, oh, this this is a, a style and a genre I really like. And that's a director whose work I've kept up with over the years. I really liked his vampire movie Thirst, which is a great movie worth checking out. And then 
the, a genre I love, which of course, to go back to the conversation of the topic, is I love seeing any other country's interpretations of westerns. I grew up on spaghetti westerns, I grew up on Hollywood westerns, I grew up with Australian interpretation of westerns. I love a good interpretation of a western. Hence, we did Paleface last time, which was a comedic take on a western. I like Blazing Saddles, but I like the Western genre in general, but I really appreciate a foreign take on it or an, a more abstract take on a Western because it is the, if you're into film, it's kind of, it is the staple of film. Every genre is a Western, as they say. And I like exploring different types of that. One of my more, um, one of my recent favorite weird Westerns was one of the last good Michael Fassbender movies, a New Zealand made Western called Slow West. And Ben Mendelsohn's the villain, so you know it's going to be this, a good time. One of the last good Michael Fassbender movies. Come on, what what is this? When was the last good movie of his? Snowman. What was the last thing he made? Snowman. <laughs> hmm? uh, X Men uh, Apocalypse. I my, there you go. Like so, <laughs> my time gauge or like the way I perceive time completely just fell apart probably around 2008 yeah. so like i think anything in the past 12 years is recent so i i understand exactly where you're coming from now that i'm thinking about it i don't know hunger would probably be the last really good michael fassbender and this movie. And slow west came out fassbender movie and slow west came out in like 2015 so, so. okay steve Fa- jobs steve jobs come on steve jobs was great yeah it was all right but it's no slow if you west. Need, if if Nyquil doesn't work, then yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's no Ashton Kutcher's jobs, but whatever. <laughs> so, I love a good western, and a genre that I've uh, another foreign cinema that I've really grown to love is, of course, uh, Czechoslovakian cinema or Czech cinema, specifically when it was Czechoslovakia. Uh, this era, the 1960s and 70s and, and early 80s era, is something that I've really been exploring over the last few years because of Lemonade Joe. Yeah. My history with Lemonade Joe is a very long and complicated one, and it will link to Bartex, which is when we were at university, in our final year at university studying drama, we had to make a play. We had to collaborate and make a play, and... Earlier in the year, I, 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 I do this art page and I made a funny title for a picture, which was a horse in space. And I just put two words together. I put Soviet Western and I just put them together. And then I kept thinking about those two <laughs> phrases and I said, it was, it was like a running a, joke for the year. It was a running joke. I was like, oh man, is there such thing as a Soviet Western? Like, what's the message of a Soviet Western? Like, stranger walks into town, realizes there, there's capitalism and shrieks and then shoots his gun in the air and says, worship Stalin. Like, it was always these ideas. And I, I realized, is there such thing as a Soviet Western? And then when we we're making our play, we decided let's make ourselves a Soviet Western on stage, and we made our, we made it, we made it, and it was just called Soviet Western. And one of the inspiration points was this film, Lemonade Joe, because you do a quick Google search, Soviet Western, you get introduced to all these films and the genre, which is more primarily called a Red Western, which I don't like as much because I didn't come up with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Lemonade Joe was always one of the top one recommended. And you see the poster and it's bright yellow and it's weird. And you got this guy singing at a piano and it, it was highly recommended and it was a comedy. And I was like, I want to see not only a Soviet Western, but I want to see a comedic one. <laughs> and I've never experienced Czech cinema before. So let's give it in. And I took a bold risk. I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I went to 
I'm not going to say the site's name, but, you know, it involves a bay of some sort. And it was there with many people uploading it so that I could easily find it with subtitles in English. And the copy I had wasn't the greatest visually looking, but it was still pretty decent. And I just watched it in bed. Can you imagine? I watched this film in my bed just with a laptop on. And I was like, what the fuck am I seeing? And I was astonished. I was amazed. I was in awe of this the, film. The next day when we met up and you told us about it. I, yeah, I went to the university the next day and told them, guys, I watched Lemonade Joe. It's amazingly insane. You I've never us- seen a film like Lemonade Joe sh- ever in my life. You showed us two scenes. You showed us Hogo Fogo... Um, it, when the scene's blue and like he shoots the guy with the wanted poster, and you showed us the corkscrew, the scene. corkscrew scene. Yeah. So Bartek's history is: I came in and showed them the scenes because when we were constructing the our uh, play, I gave out to every single person a western of some sort. So Bartek had Pale Face. I mentioned this in our Pale Face review. Mm-hmm. One of my other friends, I gave them the Trinity movies, and. This was the one I kept to me. I only showed everyone else two scenes because I knew if we watched this movie together, we would just want to take this movie and just put it on stage because it is amazing. Yeah. So I showed them two scenes, the one that Bartek mentioned of him in the bar, Hogo Fogo, and the sheriff comes in and he grabs the wanted post and just keeps looking up and down, up and down, up and down at him. (laughs) And the famous corkscrew scene at the very end, my brother, yet a monster, and then puts a corkscrew in. And I showed them those two scenes, and just from those two scenes, we just we just launched off. And then after, like, pretty much nearly, like, ten months later, we sat down and actually watched the film after we had finished our play. Because I knew if we watched it, it would just influence us way too much. Way too much. I just needed to be the voice of reason go, no, 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 we, we only need this. Mm-hmm. And let's move on. And over the years... Bartek and I have had movie nights in which we've just watched Lemonade Joe with a group of people, because this is a group of people type movie. Just seeing people react to the randomness that is Lemonade Joe. Yep, and extending from that, we've watched three other Czechoslovakian films. By the same director. Same director, and they've all been interesting in different ways. So yeah, it introduced me to this director whose name is something like Old Ulrich Ulrich Lipsky. It looks like Ulrich Lipsky, and his other movies are, are, are genre-bending masterpieces that are worth checking out. He has an adaptation of a Jules Verne book. He did a movie called Four Murders Are Enough, Darling, yes. which is amazing. <laughs> And Dinner for Adele, was it? <laughs> There's one that has multiple titles. It's called Dinner for Adele, and or the most frequent title is Adele Hasn't Had Her Supper Yet, which is a monster movie where it's a killer plant that eats people. It's like a detective mystery or something? It's If people are familiar with their mystery novels, it is a Nick Carter movie, which is the American Sherlock Holmes. Right. Who was a, was a real thing. So Nick Carter, Backstreet Boy? I wish. Could you imagine? So that's my relationship with Lemonade Joe, and I've been wanting to do it on the pod all year, but due to COVID stuff happening, Bartek and I haven't been in the same room as each other, and I was like, no, no, we need to be in the same area to talk about Joe. And I knew I wanted some guests, and I kept flicking between who do I want, and I just kept saying, it's got to be the contrarians. I think Aww. they're going to get something out of this. I don't know. They <laughs> they had an experience with Paleface, but boy, will they, will they have an experience with, with Lemonade <laughs> Joe. So tell us, guys, what were your thoughts and opinions and experience watching this movie? So, first um, of all... I remember... I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, Alex, did we... No, I, I, I was... I was trying to remember if when we did the Paleface, 
if we actually talked about our previous experience with westerns because i don't know i don't even remember if how much experience with westerns you have yeah uh, we did talk about it briefly yeah we, we covered that i just wanted to quickly call out that nick carter was a backstreet boy i just wanted to make sure that was clear i don't think it's the same nick carter we're talking about but i just wanted to clarify that um <laughs> Julio and I had kind of a couple back and forth texts about this. Um, I don't know. I don't want to be too mm. redundant, so I'm I'm still kind of marinating on things. Julio, what were your takeaways from Lemonade Joe? Because I'm I'm going to try to probably you know springboard off some of the things you mentioned, but I I had a lot to take away from this. A lot of like I was kind of shocked by this movie, honestly. Mm. I I wasn't shocked. I guess I'm I'm kind of a. Uh, uh, you know, if it's a Ryan Swinski recommendation, then I'm just kind of expecting anything could go. <laughs> but I I was uh, not confused. I think that I, I enjoyed the movie and I laughed a lot. And mm. just kind of like to go back to a little bit to, I guess, what we talked about in the Pale Face episode, Western is not my genre. So I, I was wondering, though, as I was watching it, if I was missing out on something because I was not... Uh, mm. I'm not as you know steeped in the Western genre as obviously the people that made this movie or, or the people that love this movie. Uh, but now, as we were talking and you were explaining the context of the movie, I realized that that's not what I was missing. What I was missing was the historical context of it, which I didn't look up because I was trying to kind of go into the movie completely blind. I uh, all I knew was the name, <laughs> and then I, and that it was a west a musical western. That's what you told me. Mm. So I I didn't even know what year it was made. Uh, or what the plot was. So so watching it, I was trying to figure out what it was trying to say about the Western genre. and mm. But that's really not the point. <laughs> the point is what it's trying to say about the situation uh, in the uh, Soviet Union at the time, which gives it an extra level that I didn't get while I was watching it, but I can always, I can definitely appreciate it now in retrospect. Uh, but even without that, it's, it, it, it was funny. I, I, I was, uh, I was kind of. There was a part of me that was waiting to get just burned out on the gimmick, but it never happened, which was great. Uh, you know, I was like, how how much longer will this be funny? You know, the just them aping uh, an old western and playing with the kind of like the tropes of uh, you know, oh, we're gonna make it look like it's a really old movie and like it's a really bad transfer. We're gonna. Uh, speed up some scenes like like it happens in like old movies mm. you know uh, but it never got old which is great i mean it's not a super long movie but it's still like it's like what an hour 40 an hour 30 um mm. and uh so it just it stayed fresh uh like i said i had a pretty good laughs i was not crazy about the music i i think that might be uh, one of those ah. things that um <laughs> I don't know. It, it might be a, a, a translation problem, not necessarily the, the subtitles, but just uh, I think I tend to enjoy music more. If I can understand what they're saying as they're saying it, then I think I enjoy songs a lot more than here where, you know, I just kind of had to match the subtitles to the to the melody. And that was not as great. Uh, there are a couple of like musical numbers I like, but also as far as musicals go, I am uh, I'm a bigger fan of characters just breaking into song for no reason as opposed to characters justifying that they're singing you know like here mm. at least half the numbers is, are uh, somebody actually performing at the bar you know they'll, they'll sit at the piano and start playing the piano and then they sing a song uh, to me it's a, it's a little more fun uh, 
when it's something like what the the bad guy does later in the movie where he's just for no reason starts singing uh yes so it, I, I was mixed on the music uh i'm sure you guys will tell me how i'm wrong but but overall i i enjoyed it a lot and kind of like like alex said it was even though i was expecting uh a lot of outlandishness i was still kind of blown away by just how out there this movie is so uh i think also this movie kind of hit me at the right time because during my um october my month of like uh, horror movies is Anyone knows? I, I tried mm. to watch one every day. Uh, I discovered the movie Bone Tomahawk for the first time, which I'm not Amazing sure. Amazing film. Yes. Amazing film. Yeah. So that kind of, I was left uh, kind of aghast for several days after watching that movie. And also the idea of, you know, kind of <clears throat> bending the bending the idea of what Westerns can be. And, you know, we have Blazing Saddles. We have these parodic uh, Western movies that are out there. And then when this was recommended, you know, coming off Paleface, I I kind of just, uh, I guess, wrongly assumed it would be something in kind of a similar vein of, uh, of a of a bygone era and something that's kind of fun mm. and you know yeah there's some things that maybe aged problematically but it's still kind of this sterile just you know kind of fun movie and with this it was like, um. Several times I was reading about the movie on my phone while the movie was going on, and I was. This is ten years before Blazing Saddles, and I my sister watched this with me, and we kept thinking about like our dad was like only ten years old when this came out, so to think about this movie that has comedic bits that are still like fresh today, uh, from a movie that's that old is pretty insane. A lot of the comedic bits in this movie, uh, were incredibly ahead of their time this is like a lot of the comedic set pieces in this felt like naked gun stuff or even you know at, at the earliest mm. caddyshack something that would follow uh 16 17 years later after this and then just like the absurdity of the ending like the whole line of oh i only got shot in the, the heart twice like that whole <laughs> <laughs> sequence and it's oh. And the way it all comes together in the end when they're all related, but it's also just to sell more product. So there's the, the really fascinating aspect of it being written as like this rebellious punk rock type thing against, you know, kind of the system that they were uh, facing at the time. But also just in the sense mm. of a film being made uh, from an artistic standpoint with the, the different uh, hues and colors throughout it is really fascinating. Um, and then it's a satire on Westerns and... Then, like I said, just some of the things that are played for jokes um, was it is a style of comedy that's still just kind of being used today. Like the ridiculousness of the shootout when their bullets are colliding with one another, and uh, you know everywhere they go they can't catch each other. The the one part where the guy who's running out with a telegram, he's running and he doesn't notice the horse is right in front of him until right up into the point where he gets there, and oh, excuse me, and then goes around the horse. It's all this really. Like obvious comedy that's really popularized today, so kind of seeing all that and then realizing it's a movie from you know fifty years ago is, um, or even longer than that at this point. It's it's fascinating. I think is the right word to describe it. And I think one of the more fascinating parts about it I read was the original um, audience for it in Czechoslovakia it kind of washed over them because they didn't have any exposure to Westerns at that point. So they didn't understand that this was like yeah. a parody of what they were watching. And it's, um, 
yeah, it's one of those movies that I had never heard of, never would have if we didn't do this project right here. But now it's going to be stuck in the back of my head for the next few weeks and me thinking about it. So I very much appreciate the opportunity to discuss it here. Bartek, how is your experience with Lemonade Joe on this watch and over the years? Yes, this is probably my <clears throat> fourth viewing, first time alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's still a lot of fun. I always enjoy you know, laughing about it, talking about it. Um, and even kind of now we're still kind of learning new things about it. Like Julio was talking about how, um, he now understands the context and he can appreciate in that light. We only really recently kind of looked into this. Like, I mean, it was mostly you, Ryan. Yeah. into what Czechoslovakia's background was at the time of making it. And also later on. And like, I don't know anything about what happened between what happened with Czechoslovakia and how it's separated off into two different things the Czech Republic. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, not me me neither really in considering my Polish family history. Um and you were talking about last week, Ryan, that people online, like Czech fans, obviously they consider it a classic. Most other people who've heard of it consider it a cult classic. But that they were surprised that people that weren't Czech enjoyed it because the film has a bunch of wordplay word play and stuff. Yeah, apparently, according to YouTube comments, a lot of Czech people were very pleasantly surprised that English speakers and anyone who isn't Czech got something out of the movie because apparently, to them, this is a really funny movie wordplay-wise and the language-wise. And although we have subtitles and and subtitles are never going to be perfect and the subtitles are going to obviously have some stuff lacking and there are different variants of subtitles all around the place for this movie of people trying to make sense of it. But to me, one of the things that really touched upon it was just the spectrum of comedy that it does hit, not just the language, but the filmmaking itself, not just via physical comedy, but the way the shots are done, the cuts, Mm -hmm. the, the, the amount of time a shot will linger, the color palette of the movie, of course, the music, and just striking visuals such as when Joe falls off the cliff side and he's flying and his hat falls off and he puts it back on, all of that stuff. And I wrote to one of these people, I wrote, no matter no matter the language barrier, seeing an old man cry because someone just ate his fiddle will always be funny, no matter the language. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Like, there's just a bunch of surface level things in this film that are funny and easy to enjoy hence you said we watch this film with a group of people and we have a good time just yeah a lot of fun and um because polish and czech are very similar languages i do kind of occasionally understand little bits of what is being said Mm. um but in general when it comes to like uh, musical stuff i'm completely fine not understanding the lyrics because you love bollywood i love bollywood i don't speak bollywoodese (laughs) (laughs) yeah alex i was gonna ask you're not you're infamously not a fan of musicals um and from my understanding and correct me if i'm wrong you're a little bit opposite of julio where from from my understanding you don't like it when people just break out into song is that correct so my i have a complicated I have a complicated uh, relationship with musicals in that uh, there's a difference to me of a musical like this and then a musical like Rent or Les Mis. I do not care for when dialogue is sung. I I find that very just grating on the senses because I have a hard time connecting to what's going on on the screen. In this particular situation, I understand this is a musical, but... It's like um, the musical numbers are almost interludes to explain where we're going. And I, I, so to answer or to kind of go back to that, not to answer, but uh, 
to go to the starting point, I didn't have a really a problem with it in this movie because it would it, the musical sets would either be to provide uh, an interim in between these set pieces or it would be something uh, really just over the top and silly and fun like the um i think it's the first time the the color goes red in the movie when they're at the saloon and the the women yeah. there are singing about how if my daddy drank whiskey he'd still be alive and kicking <laughs> and uh it's so things like things like that it, it provides a certain air of silliness and i also think a big part of it is just truthfully if a movie's like a big drama piece that's a musical i have a really hard time getting emotionally invested into something dramatic that's a musical but something like this or i mean like the south park movie which is a musical it just kind of in these situations adds to the ridiculousness and the fun of it all yeah you raise a good point this film doesn't the musical the music's in this jesus the music <laughs> in the film the sing songs in the film don't really have any sort of like back and forths between characters it's always just the person singing or the people singing are the ones who sing the song and to kind of just go against julio in some minor bits i think practically practically all of the songs are just the character deciding that they're going to sing and not in the way that like they just burst and singing. Like when Hogo Fogo has his song, the first one he has, it may seem like it's out of nowhere, but he does as an actor and as his character. His his character's a magician, a performer, and before he does his little song, he does a little curtsy, like and he goes like, Sit down, and he's telling them, Sit down so I can perform this to you right now. So even little touches like that kind of sow the seeds of the continuity and the understanding of how the music does come into this movie. It's not so much to me as every now and then they'll burst into song randomly. It does seem to me more frequently, if not mostly, that they will find an excuse as characters to start performing a song. Whether it be Joe sits at the piano and he's going to fuck with Hogo Fogo inside the piano because he tried to shoot, throw a knife at him and he did a, a Kurt Russell and threw it back. And... <laughs> And, and stuff like that. Or Joe is just your typical singing cowboy and he's singing to himself happily as he's leaving the town because he's done his job. Yeah. And I think to go into the music side too, you get set up with how the music's going to be via the opening of the movie. The movie just opens with like his mouth coming on screen and yodeling and you just know and half English and none of the English actually makes any sense. I and forget it goes, about that every time I watch And it film. goes into some Czech and some Spanish or whatever. It's a mixture of all this stuff and you get a tone set for the movie from the opening credits and just how the music is in the opening credits. You get an understanding of, oh, the music's not going to be important it's kind of window dressing in a way it's just another flavor added to this stew yeah they use uh in the saloon song i remember they use mucho gusto at one it's i think it's in the chorus of the song they sing and i remember laughing at that um yeah it's it's absurd the i I was trying to remember like my favorite comedic moments in the movie and things that kind of don't take you out of it but just serve to show how silly it is when um uh hogofogo what's his horace is posing as the blind man and then he like he bumps into the 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 woman the the damsel in the film uh winifred and he's like oh a sofa and she's like no it's still just me (laughs) (laughs) it's that there's so many points in the movie where as soon as you think it's going to take itself seriously or present some sort of dramatic narrative it just there's a one-liner or something or just like a a physical gag that just snaps you back to how silly it is 
but then in, in a thing I also like about this film too, from a filmmaking standpoint, it does genuinely have really sincere, really well done moments of tension and of suspense and of building atmosphere that you would see in a genuine Western. It's not all 110% silly, goofy, spoof all the time. You have shots like when Joe enters the saloon and it's played, even though it's all bright yellow and his outfit is absurd and all that, it's still played for the tension and the seriousness in the filmmaking. You don't have silly sound effects when he walks in. They know at the right moments when to just have a little bit of seriousness. One of my favorite shots, and I, and I love it because this would be in a real Western, this came out the same year as um, uh, A Fistful of Dollars. So you have the moment wow. at the end where Hogo Fogo has a corkscrew in the back and you have him grabbing out his gun and the intense back-and-forth close-ups between him and Winifred, you would see in a Sergio Leone movie. You would see in a genuine Western of that time. And that bit at the end is a moment where that's played straight in a way, but then they goof it up at the end with like his silly faces when he gets shot by Joe and the freeze frames because it's also aping off the old silent movie era as well with the tinted colour and the speeding up, slow down and all that stuff. So I also do appreciate with the film... They, the filmmaking itself really does try to ape off the Westerns in a sincere way as well as just a satirical way. Unlike, say, I love Blazing Saddles, but when I think of Blazing Saddles, it just looks like a, a comedy film. You know, like, it yeah. looks gorgeous, like, set design, costumes, the music, the acting, but, like, he shoots it like a Mel Brooks movie. You know, it's not as striking as, say, this movie visually is and how this movie film-wise is is a superior because it is going for a very obvious comedy identity, but it also is building up the serious uh, motifs and ideas that you see in an actual Western. Dude, the uh, the sequence where he's singing the, where, again, uh, Horace is posing as the blind man, and he's singing the song about his funeral to Winifred, the where it like shows the postcard of new Orleans, but then the actors start mm. marching in the background and then it turns into like a big set. Um, I, as Julio knows and anyone that's spoken to me or has ever listened to a podcast knows I am just, I adore physical sets, physical, you know, big set pieces and things like that using real humans mm. and real sound stages. So that whole sequence, I was, I, to what you're saying, I was just completely, enamored with what was going on because it was it was funny like the thing he was singing about or the the subject and like what was happening was funny but what was being shown on screen was this real effort at genuine filmmaking and even like the end with the um, the, mm. the 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 rickshaw not the rickshaw but the, the the carriage that pulls them away after they get married and then the uh the, the taper comes off below and billows down and says the end and all the actors come out and kind of wave goodbye to him and everything like that. It's, um, it's exactly what you're saying. It's not just your standard comedy that's set like a Western, you know, quote unquote, but it's a movie that was made with diligent effort, but at the same time was really funny and satirical. Yeah. But the jokes on you, Alex, because all that stuff's CGI. Oh, oh. is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just, just to talk about the tinting of the movie, are you guy? How did you guys feel about tinting? Because are you familiar? Have you watched many movies that have been tinted before? Because if you go back in older cinema, this is far more frequent. So, how were you with that? Because just a backstory, I watched this with one of my sister's friends who has um, some 
colorblindness issues, and this movie fucked with him royally because it would just... Sometimes it would hard cut to a different color, and sometimes you would just notice that the scene went from green to yellow to blue, and you realized, I didn't notice exactly the points when it changed. How, so how was your experience with the visual look of the tint of the movie? Well, Julio, we have experience with this because we did Natural Born Killers, and that movie goes to green anytime <laughs> oh, something significant happens. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I try at first. I was trying to see if the tinting had any significance to what was going on, but I think it really yep, just me too. Yeah, I think it it kind of just the tinting was to play with the setting they were in, and I, I couldn't really. Mm. Um, I don't know, Julio. Have you seen a movie similar to this? I guess that was kind of the main thing for me was watching this. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'd never really seen this plane w- played with this much. But um, aside from that, to me, it was just kind of a, a novelty. Did, did you take anything else away from it? Uh, no, to me, like my, my reaction to it, my association with this kind of stuff would be that there was something wrong with the negative. <laughs> there was something wrong with the film. <laughs> uh, I, I, was, I was thinking of it from the from the projection standpoint of like, oh, the print got fucked up and now it's just, it's all messed up. <laughs> so as far as, as movies and filmmakers doing it intentionally, I, this is probably, I mean, I wouldn't count that from board killers, although that is true that they, they really, I, I wasn't just to, there. just to be fair. I wasn't comparing <laughs> lemonade Joe with natural born killers. Yeah. But Joe's better. So <laughs> Oliver uh, agreed, Stone's lemonade agreed. Joe. Yeah. Uh, but no, I didn't. And, and much like you, Alex, I, I was trying to find a pattern to the, to the color changes just to see if, if, if that was a thing. But then after, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, I, I figured it, it wasn't, if it's there, it was beyond my, my understanding, at least on, on the first watch. So, uh, I, I mean, it was, I, I don't know that it, it, I think that you could color it, you could tone it down or completely get rid of it. And I don't know that it would, uh, uh really affect my enjoyment of the movie oh. or enhance it even. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, if 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 you are getting something out of it, I'm, I I really want to hear about it because to me, I mean, I I did think I, I, maybe halfway through the movie, I was like, what if you actually shot this a lot more like a standard western instead of an old time western? If you got rid of a, a lot of the stuff that's fun, but you know, like the, the speeding up and the and the filters, and uh, if you make it look less like an old movie and more like i guess uh, a contemporary thing something that you would shoot that you were shooting in the 60s i was like how much would it lose uh comedically it it was just something mm. that i thought about but it's not uh i think it works fine as it is but do you what do you get out of the out of the tinting ryan well i'm far more familiar with it with old school cinema like classic a big classic movie that's tinted is the cabinet of dr calgari which is a big well known German expressionist film, and if you even Nosferatu look, Nosferatu is the one I know. Nosferatu, and so I'm yeah. far more far more used to that from the twenties, especially in European cinema. There's another one called The Man Who Laughs, which is one of the inspiration points for The Joker. That's another one that plays around with colors. I think you would lose a significant amount of personality of the film if you remove the tinting. Because it is going 110% for this old school western. It's not trying to be the contemporary western. It's trying to be these old school westerns down to the characters themselves. Where Hogo Fogo is not a character in a western you would have seen in the contemporary. He's the ones you would have seen in the old school. He is the guy who would have tied her to the train tracks. 
And if you removed the the speed up, slow down, the tinting, all that stuff, I think that would be lost. Also, the film's called Lemonade Joe, and lots of it is in lemonade yellow. And yeah. I'm sorry, but you need that. It's amazing. It's an amazing choice. And sometimes the tinting plays comedically as well. One of my favorite jokes, and this is just me, maybe different for you, but... There's a scene in which Lemonade Joe is sitting on the ground behind a barrel when the bank's getting robbed and he's with Winifred and her dad. And you know in the scene his horse is laying down with him, but since his horse is white, throughout the scene you kind of forget that the, I forget that the horse is there because he kind of just blends in with the bright yellow palette and yeah. Joe's outfit is bright and in it. And then there comes a point where the barrel gets shot and water splurts on the horse's face and it moves and it neighs and he calms it down and that always gets a laugh out of me because for some reason my eyes became accustomed to it and forgot that there was a horse right there. And little moments like that would be would be lost. And just striking, to me, there's just moments in not just comedy but just visually striking such as Hogo Fogo's big villain song, the first one, the greens of that song and like the hue and the weird imagery you would lose a lot of personality and expression from that because also his song is really referring back to that kind of expressionist era visually, like with the floating heads and the random still images of him and and the song itself sounds like something you would hear from those kind of old movies when sound was just coming in. And I think you would lose an essence of the weirdness as well. It's just, it's also very weird to look at that there's this bright yellow film in front of you and then it will abruptly cut to red. Yeah, but but even with all that being said, like our subjective takes on it, apparently there is a sort of like a cultural colour association thing. Yeah. So there is like a meaning to the colours, like the, the pinkish one is meant to be a bit more romantic. Stuff yeah, like we we have to take that into account. Like when you say, like when you watch some Asian cinema, right? When you watch like a Bruce Lee movie, white and red have different meanings color wise than what we have in the West, right? Yeah, yeah. And I and mm. I, you have to try and take that in consideration in some minor way. But to me, I think there is a slight rhythm and meaning to when they change the colors up, but. I'm too busy just enjoying the film to sit down and write down notes of what the meaning of the colours are in whichever scene to really care about it either. Yeah, finding the pattern... Like, obviously the pink one's a bit more obvious, but, like... And the yellow, because... And the the yellow, yeah. Honor and Joe. But then you have, like, the greens and the blues. Like, I think the green ones might be the more villainous colour. Yeah, the more unsettling. Like, the two that I think of are, obviously, the Hogafogo first song, and when Joe's coming back to the bar for the second time, and, like, you know, Doug Badman is sending the Mm. smoke signals, and they're looking at it, it's like, maybe, you know, villainous plotty kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this time around Bartek... There's many gags. We're going to talk about them. Many characters. What were some gags and characters that really, really hit for you on this watch? And what have been just some that have always hit for you? It's a lot. It's a lot to ask. Yeah, you've. I mean, you've already mentioned the violin, <laughs> the fiddle, the fi- sorry, yes, fuck me, the fiddle, <laughs> the famous oh fiddle my fiddle, <laughs> oh my fiddle my fiddle, and the guy's just eating his fiddle in front of his fucking face. Yeah, and pretty much both the times or all the times where. What's his name? Ezra Goodman? Yes, Ezra Goodman. <laughs> Ezra Goodman, whenever he gets upset, they play, like, a cruel prank on him. Like, <laughs> I always forget, like, obviously, they eat his fiddle. The, the first, first of all, they shoot it. Mm. Then they eat it. Then he cries. 
and then they pull down his hat <laughs> over his head. Yeah, yeah. And he just looks ridiculous, <laughs> even though we were supposed to be sympathizing with him. And then later on, Hokofogo is basically telling him, like, yeah, I'm gonna rape your daughter. <laughs> and obviously he's distraught, but then he, like, lights his coat on fire and makes him run away. <laughs> and it's like, this film does a lot of very cruel things, but the tone of it just makes it all funny. I think this film is tonally perfect. <laughs> if that's its biggest strength to me, is the way it shifts between tones and comedic tones is perfect because Hogo Fogo is the type of villain you would never get in a movie now because he is so cartoonishly evil. Like, I love when, uh, when Hogo Fogo comes in, in the first scene when he comes in, and he insults Tornado Lou and he's like, apologize to that lady. Lady, I don't see any here. And it's just like that kind of thing. And then he does his magic tricks and he swaps out old pistols, pistols with rabbits. And he pulls a flower out and, oh, he gives the flowers to Tornado Lou and she throws them and they explode and she just screams and runs away in fear. And it's just like, you meet him and that's the first thing he does. And you go, oh, this is the kind of character whose comedy is going to derive from what despicable thing is he going to do next? And one of my favorite lines in the movie is his brother dog bad man let's not forget good man and bad man are in this movie says to him like he he doesn't he doesn't appreciate he he near the end he's turning around and being like hogo fog you're, you're too much we've got to leave winifred alone and you know she's innocent and pure and he's like ah purity and innocence just tidbits for my lust and he's just like eating a steak and it's like that kind of that kind of character that kind of comedy is set, so when you have something like they eat the old man's fiddle, it's kind of funny. And then when they pull his hat, you would see that in an old western too. But then the... And again, this is in all westerns. You always have the bad guy who wants the girl. And they don't just want her, they want her sexually, right? They want to violate the girl to fuck over the bad guy and whoever else. And But you have that, like you said, he's saying it to the old man, the, the father of this woman, and then he lights the guy's coat on fire and he runs and the guy runs away screaming in pain. <laughs> And it's that kind of cartoony plane that the movie's on. So there's so many uh, jokes and things that that, that hit across. Uh, What about you, Julio? You said you got some laughs out of this. What were some notable moments or characters that gave you laughs? Uh, I think the the main guy, Hogo Fogo, is probably the biggest source of laugh, uh, for me at least, the biggest source of laughter. Uh, But, well, so I have two really... uh, one is when they're in the final confrontation when they're playing poker. Yes, and he's trying to find his uh, his hidden aces, and he keeps pulling stuff out of his <laughs> out of his pockets. Uh, and at some point, he pulls out a rabbit, and Lemonade Joe is across from him, and he's just kind of nodding. And, and at some point, he's like impressed by the fact that he pulled out a rabbit or whatever it is that he's pulling out. That was a that is a moment where the speeding up the the film works really well for me. Yeah, you know because it starts. At the regular speed, and they they speed up the more stuff he pulls out of uh out of his jacket. So that was that was pretty funny. Uh, and then the probably the biggest laugh I had was when they they had captured Lemon and Joe, the bad guys, mm. and they have him tied up, and they're talking about how they're gonna torture him. And <laughs> it turns out that the torture is just them dirtying up his costume because <laughs> he's the pure white hero. it works so well i mean you're talking about visually and the colors and everything but here he's been so immaculate the entire movie uh just dressed in white he even got a haircut so clean. he even got a haircut just before the scene happened and he's like oh i love my new haircut and they put the oil and shit on his hair and he's like yep. not my hair 
Yeah, from the moment that it starts, like, he just grabs the cigar, and then you think he's gonna burn him, and instead he burns a hole in his like <laughs> handkerchief or whatever. It was a, it was just so good. The despair on Lemony Joe as he's getting dirtied up, and and the glee uh, from the bad guys. That was that was a really I didn't see it coming. It was a really good punchline. So uh, I really like that. What about you, Alex? Uh, and just to kind of piggyback on something you were saying too about <clears throat> when um, Horace comes into or um, Hogafogo, like because there's no CGI, those were all like real magic tricks that were happening that they recorded or filmed, as it were. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think that deserves its own recognition. Um, the the comedy, you know, ranged from like I, I mentioned the sofa joke, which again that that's from a, a a subtitle, so I don't know if that's really what was said, but that made me laugh. And Julio mentioned uh, it might have been before we were recording the warm woolies line, which tickled me. <laughs> Um, as far as comedy goes, I enjoyed, there's the one sequence where the two brothers, uh, Horace and, uh, what was his brother's name? Doug, Doug, Doug were arguing like, um, and Doug said, you're no brother of mine. So it looked like Horace took Doug's whiskey glass and poured like uh, poison in it or something. But then mm. he ended up just drinking it. I guess it was cocaine or what have you, because it ge- it clearly gave him like a jolt. But the way it was set up is he takes it and he pours it in there and he mixes it and he puts it back to where his glass was originally. And then he just pulls it back mm. and drinks it anyway, which that was yeah. good. And then uh, honestly, my favorite joke was um, it has nothing to do with the story, but I think it was like one of literally the last shots of the movie when they're all, <laughs> you know, the happy ending when Winifred and... Mm. Um, Lemonade Joe are riding away, and it's the townspeople all waving goodbye to him. And then it's like these two people above the – it might have been like the local you know, pharmacy or whatever. But one of mm. them's the barber, and the guy that's yeah. waving, he goes over, and he starts cutting his hair, and he, like, shoes him away. Like, that's <laughs> – I'm telling you, that's a joke from, like, a movie today. And yeah. uh, so <laughs> seeing that here, I I laughed so hard as the movie was going to the credits just from that – that one shot it's yeah, such a throwaway I, I joke but god it, it it killed me there's many jokes there's just jokes upon jokes upon jokes that you you'll see pop up again like wh- what i like about this is when you say this is a silly farce satirical whimsical whatever some people might say cuz you're saying it's a comedy might say oh well they expect that not a lot of effort is put in in the way yeah. that a drama is this film is filled with little details that just, if you notice them, you can build stuff for yourself, such as Doug Bad... I noticed on this watching, Doug Badman, when Lemonade Joe is in there and he shoots the fly, which is amazing, um, yes. he's tapping his fingers on the table. Like, that's his, that's his, like, response. Like, tap, 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 tap. When we first meet Hogo Fogo... He's tapping his fingers the exact same way on the carriage of the door, mm-hmm. on the on the door's carriage when he's, you know, riding in, and it's the exact same. And that's giving you the little tip. Oh yeah, they're related. And then little things like that keep popping up. You know, like Hogo Fogo and Lemonade Joe are as perfect as one another because they're brothers. So their bullets will just hit each other. They think the exact same because they're brothers. This is that kind of movie where it operates on that logic as well, and. It's these little details like that. Like, I like the joke or statement that Lemonade Joe wears his holsters surprisingly low. I just like it because it adds a mystique to his character of, 
He already has this absurd outfit. We don't know why he is here yet. And then they're like, and he wears his holsters low. And you're like, why does he Why does he do that? Ooh, it must be intimidating. And then you see, like, he actually shows up and he actually has some gun skills. And it's these little details like that that I really appreciate. And Hogo Fogo is a magician. And it's not just like a throwaway thing. It is a constant no. thing throughout the movie that he is a magician. He's a trickster. He is a guy who loves wearing disguises. And it is constantly throughout the movie. It's not just one scene like, oh, he does a thing and it's a throwaway. And they keep building upon it, not with just jokes, but just little layers of his character. Just, of course, this despicable guy's a magician. Of course he is. Yeah, he can teleport a lot. He can teleport. <laughs> <laughs> One of Bartek's One of favorite the... moments is the graveyard scene with Winifred and Hogo Fogo. Do you want to talk about that briefly, Bartek? Which one? The first one. The, the, first the one, one where she, they rattle off what kind of animals they are to one another. I just love the line, enough zoology. But even even before that, like she's very tenderly attending to that, to that gravestone. And then her mother's grave. Her mother's grave. And then even though Hogo Fogo would be in view range of her, he just pops up behind her. Um, and even even then, when we were talking about Lemonade Joe and Hokofogo being, uh, you know, an even level, that was their first interaction, and it was in a sped up, completely wacky like fight where, where Joe the... is just spinning him around, and he's a dummy, and oh, he 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 hangs him upside down and shakes all of the shit out of his pockets, like that, all of, and it. most of it was stuff that he just won in poker, and mo- yeah, that's it. Another, there you go, another little detail. Most of it was just the stuff he the stuff he just won in the poker game before that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In another comedy, they wouldn't <laughs> have had that. that detail there. They would have just had it, it's just rabbits and cards and whatever. No, yeah, that's the gag for the poker game later in the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the poker game with him and Joe. And Joe calls him something like a cabbage head or something really weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he just calls, yeah, just calls him like salad. Yeah, and he calls him something weird. <laughs> and I love... The fact that Hogo Fogo, throughout the whole entire movie, he does something that most of these villains don't in movies, which is when he sees Joe, he just fucking shoots him as much as he can. Like, when he pops up and he meets, like, when he encounters Joe the first time, Joe's at the piano and he's singing some bullshit song about how great he is. And Hogo Fogo comes out and one of my favorite shots is Joe at the piano and Hogo Fogo just shoots him in the fucking head and Joe just falls down and then he gets back up. And it gives you this tone of, oh, death means nothing in this universe. So then at the end of the movie, when Joe just comes in with, like, a little sling over his arm. I also love the phrase clinical death. Oh, oh, yes. Lemonade cures clinical death. (laughs) That was, uh, that scene you mentioned where he shoots him in the head, though, that was the biggest, like, um, parental advisory logo on this movie from Amazon was because that's the scene with blackface. It was like warning this scene. Yeah, which obviously, you know, as we talked about with the pale face by definition of the name, there's some problematic natures of this. But I like when I pulled it up, I I didn't know what I was getting into, like I said. So like the first warning Amazon gave me was blackface. But um, one of the things. Oh, so you had a warning because I, I didn't. I didn't watch it on Amazon. So to me, it just it came out of nowhere. It came out <laughs> it nowhere took for you me. by surprise. Same. Uh, I, I honestly, I had to like. We like pause and make sure that that was that that's what it was because I thought maybe it's just a different character wearing a mask or something, but no, it's it's actually like a hundred percent blackface. Yeah, but uh, I was gonna say just kind of piggybacking on what y'all were talking about the comedy. Also, Doug's ability to uh, blow letters and numbers and smoke from his cigars was also fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just the cartoony logic 
of the movie. Like when Joe falls off the cliffside and he's just flying down for ages and then he just lands perfectly like nothing happens. It's straight out of the Looney Tunes handbook of things, right? Like, all they needed to do was have the bit where the person's still running in midair and then they realize that they're in midair and look down and that's when they fall down. Like, that's the only thing they needed to add to really go there. Add Wiley Coyote instead of Coyote Kid. Yeah, instead of Coyote Kid and the Puncho... What was his name? Kid. Oh, Puncho Kid as well. Puncho Kid. (laughs) That was one of my, that was one of my favorite retorts, which was when um, old pistols showing off his Mexican bandits, and Joe's just like, "I don't care about your kids." <laughs> <laughs> Joe at the end when he he learns that uh, Tornado Lou and um, Doug and Horace are his siblings because he they all have the same birthmark. That yeah. The, it got a good laugh from me when he grabs Winifred's arms and looks up and down them, and then he doesn't see a birthmark. So he just like I think he even puts his hand on his stomach to show that he's taking like a sigh of relief. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it, yeah. This film's got a lot going on. So how brutal uh, to me? Maybe the highlight of the movie is the the most brutal scene that was not. At least I didn't feel it was funny, but I felt it was like I don't know, like the movie. Uh, I don't know because, like I said, I was I was waiting for a critique of the western as a genre, and to me, that happened when uh, uh, when Lou saves yes uh, w- when she saves Joe twice, yeah. and then he treats her. She's she's basically professing her love, and he treats her like a whore, and he ends up giving her a check for five dollars, <laughs> and uh, she is obviously just crushed by that response but he is you never get a moment where he realizes he was in the wrong he's just a complete asshole and then he leaves and yeah uh, because that's what these cowboys are like in the westerns they're always like infallible perfect heroes even if they're murderous drunken assholes well no this is different because he's the law well he's well what serves cola loca is serves the law (laughs) like that's the kind of character he is like Lemonade Joe's the villain of the fucking movie, really. Like, he's a horrible ass on that scene shows it. But even before that, you had evidence that Joe was a was a prick. Even before then, like, when he first meets Tornado Lou and he looks up and down, he's like, I don't want to interact with you. I want to interact with the blonde lady, you know, even though this woman just saved his life. Yeah, the, the pure virginal one. But yeah, that scene is, as Bartek said, cruel. But is it too much? Is it too much? I don't think so, because I think it it makes me laugh of how, how an asshole, much of an oblivious asshole he is, and then he ends the scene by leaving, by going back up the chimney he came down. <laughs> and saying, adios! That was great, yeah. <laughs> and but- then uh, Lou ends the scene, because she's like on the floor saying, I hate you, and then she goes to like show her distress by wiping her face, so she just covers her face in soot. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. But is it too mean-spirited? Is he too much? I, I don't think so. Bartek, you've seen the movie a few more times than everyone else here, so what do you think? Well, is you've he... seen it one more than I have. I but... guess, but what do you think? Uh, is it too cruel? I, I I think I'm with you. It's it's the comedy of the thing. And it's this is before he turns into the Avenger version where he's wearing black. Is that before or after Winifred finds out that he's actually not an agent of the law, but an agent of the Lemonade? Well, that's really early on. Because even in in that scene, Joe immediately knows that she knows, which is amazing. But his, his thing was, 
all right, how much percentage do you want in the profits? <laughs> He's all about the money. And that's who Joe is. Joe is the guy who gives the woman who saved his life a percentage of money. That's who he is. He's a fucking asshole. He's a monster. But he, but even though he is this, you know, capitalist pig dog, as we like to call him, yes. um, the he still kind of has the protagonist powers convention like he's still always shown in a glorified light he can survive you know brutal things like two gunshots through the heart and tar yeah yeah he he is this kind of infallible figure that like if you forget the whole thing about how he's really just you know a, a, a salesman you kind of remember him as being like, oh yeah, he's just this like messianic figure who because they play up on the conventions of not just a western but the general thing of yeah, exactly. he is the guy all in white. He's got the perfect hair, the perfect teeth. He sings perfectly. All the women love him. He's this infallible guy. But the the movie constantly is saying, no, he's not. But you can't help but be conditioned by movies you've seen to go, but he is. He's Lemonade Joe, the hero of the movie, but. No, he's not. He's evil. He's like he's not evil, but like he's definitely a, a a corrupt figure. And as you know, Alex, you said you're reading stuff about the movie while watching, and like we've said about the background of the movie, Joe is a very critical critique on these cowboys from the westerns of America by 110%. On the Wikipedia, they even mention that the writer brings this up of he really hates the hypocrisy of the the heroes of westerns because they're always like right and perfect and they never really learn a lesson even though they're like murderers and alcoholics and sometimes rapists and all these terrible things yet john wayne john wayne played them so it's fine (laughs) oh yeah exactly that's he's he's the duke so you know it's uh it's it's okay uh yeah it's also like the whole idea of like the I was going to say self-imposed, but that's not even it. The the forced Superman type thing. Yeah. Like here's the hero. Just take it. And History's written by the winners, and he wins in this film. Yeah, they get the Beverly Hillbillies ending where they stick the thing in the ground and oil spews out. <laughs> just the ending like, oh, of this movie. Really yeah, the ending of this movie is just utterly preposterous. I love it. it. It It's one of those, like, it kind of eradicates the entire movie within a 45 second span but it's so silly that it makes it worthwhile yeah it reminds me of um if any of you've seen uh kentucky fried movie the longest segment is in that is the fistful of yen one and at the very end it's revealed that like oh this was a commercial all along (laughs) yeah well it works though right the ending being as absurd as it is because one they leave it to the end but mm-hmm. And so you have to have the maximum amount of absurdity. So they leave it to the end. They don't shoot their load all over the place in the first 10 minutes. And then you're left with subpar absurdism. They keep amping up the stakes. But as, as stated, it's these little details. Like we've seen Joe get shot in the fucking head earlier. He falls off a cliff and he's fine. So when he rocks up at the end and he's got just a little sling over his arm and smoke, <laughs> and smoke is still billowing out of his chest from having been shot... Even though he's walked all this way, you're like, of course, of course. And then the extra touch of the lemonade did it. The lemonade, the thing that the movie's titled after, and the thing that he's been selling is the thing that saved him, and he's and it cures clinical death. And when the visual image of the old man who we've never seen before, yeah, his dad, his the the head of the company, 
spraying the water like it's holy water yes. on all their bodies. Like a priest's blessing. Like a priest giving a blessing. And, and the way that they all jilt back up, like... Like, just so cartoony, their bodies go all stiff, and they, like, the sound effects that this, they have, and... This, this film loves the jump cuts. Well, yeah, jump cuts. I mean, if Lawrence of Arabia can have a jump cut, so can this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the... I was wondering if that guy, the guy that plays the dad, if he is, if he was a known actor, because that seemed like a role, like a moment where you would throw in a cameo from, you know, from John Wayne or from somebody. Uh, obviously... In this case, because it's it's a Czech movie, then you would have to I, I don't know you know you you wouldn't bring a Western star, but you would bring somebody that yeah. I guess would make it even funnier just by uh, on a meta context. I I got that feeling at least. I don't know if it's that's a, the case. I haven't looked. I you know he's the one actor I never looked up. I looked up pretty much <laughs> everyone else, but he's the one I didn't bother. But the main big star of the movie is Hogo Fogo. From my understanding, he he starred in very big movies like if you know your films he is in the most beloved version of baron baron munchausen which terry gilliam tried to adapt the czech version of baron munchausen to much failure and and, and just it, his version's terrible but he plays munchausen the hogo fogo so he to me from my understanding he's the big star well, and yeah, of the and movie and the voice of Lemonade Joe when he sings that's the other big star like that guy's called the golden voice he's like one of the most beloved singers of all of Czech yeah yeah in the other Czechoslovakian films we've watched I think in th- three of the four that we've seen I think yeah Hogo Fogo's yeah, been in the them the Milos Kopecki I think his name is he's been in all of them and he's always been a villain a villain he's always been very entertaining he is the he him and Joe are the best like my favorite performances in the movie like oh for sure we've talked about Hogo Fogo I mean he's great but Joe Joe is so perfect like him yodeling the the close up on his mouth <laughs> as he sings and that dumbass expression he has on his face throughout the whole movie of this air of I'm important but I don't know a single thing that's going on is communicated perfectly by just this actor and who, just like his sincere reaction was like oh oh no no I don't drink spirit. Oh, I don't touch spirits. What did you guys oh, think of spirits. Joe's kryptonite? <laughs> it was set up. Uh, that was that was a good a good twist. I I was a hundred percent sure that he was not gonna fall for it the second time, and he did. <laughs> and the way his body just fully like goes stiff as a board and just collapses over. <laughs> oh, speaking of stiff bodies, man, Hogafogo. <laughs> oh, one of the best visual gags is when. Hogo Fogo is like frozen in terror. I can't remember. Well, there are two. There are two that I'm thinking of. The first one is right after his first villainous song, where he's about to shoot Joe after you know finishing singing about how he loves being evil. Yes, and then just smash, and Uh, he's just like passed out. But he's standing up, holding in the guns, and the camera moves away so that they have a conversation. The camera quickly moves back, and. Doug Badman's like, okay, I'm gonna leave the scene now, and he just grabs him and tucks him underneath his arm and walks away. Like it's obviously a dummy, but because of the tinting there, you don't notice it's a dummy until he does the thing and leaves yeah. with his brother underneath his arm. Yeah. That was an amazing gag. But then the one that you were just gonna bring up is when he thinks that he's killed Joe, and Joe just appears and he's frozen, and and it's. And it's reference, like Joe's like amazing. He's still as a stone. Yeah, he's uh, got a pulse and all <laughs> of that. And then when he calls, he, he when he speaks, is like you bastard or something. He's like ah, a warm human word finally. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alex, I want to point out, I'm surprised I haven't heard, I thought one of your favorite gags would be, there's the bit where he's Hogo Fergus pretending to be the blind old man and he's waiting for Winifred to help him cross the road, but instead... This a, is one of my favorite gags. Instead, a small girl runs over to help him and he then screams at them and calls them a bastard. Little bastard. He's a little bastard, a little bastard little and bastard. chases them away. Apparently in another translation, he's like, Herod should have gotten you or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That whole uh, him being the blind man, and then the, also the payoff of that comedically, uh, the payoff of that comedically when he's sneaking her out, and mm. he's just hogo fogo, and uh, Joe comes up behind him, he's like, "Wait a minute!" And then you just see him rolling the bill of his hat up, but he turns around and he's a completely different person. That that shit's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, I, I love the fact that he's such an asshole that he writes a full, like he has a full letter prepared to stick on his back to say, I just outdone you, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and he even mentions himself by the character, like Dr. Quartz, a.k.a. Hogofogo. A.k.a. Hogofogo. I mean, there's just so much in the movie, uh, comedic beats, set pieces, but I'm really glad that you guys got something out of the film because I was saying to my wife, I was like, I think they're going to hate the movie. I don't know why. I just had a suspicion because I'm like, oh, Alex too. hates oh, musicals. No. And I think he wouldn't like any of the music in this. And I know Julio isn't a fan of Western. So I'm like, I don't know if he's going to get anything out of this. But then I was like, but the film is just so fucking weird that it might oh, yeah. just skate by. Uh, and also, Alex likes Grease. So so there are musicals that he likes. Yeah, Grease rules. Um, no, Grease too. One thing... I did find in my research that I found particularly tickling was uh, in the 80s when Gorbachev yes. was trying to limit the Soviet alcohol, uh, basically limit their uh, intake and consumption. The Basically, I guess the newspapers and stuff started calling him Lemonade Joe, which is <laughs> fucking hilarious. Uh, that is amazing. Yeah. We should bring that back as an insult to people. <laughs> no, we should call them Salad. Yeah, yeah, salad or cabbage, head to pedigree, which one you have? I, I, uh, there's a lot going on. We lost Joe this year. The actor who played Lemonade Joe passed away only a couple of months ago. He was in his late 90s, like in his mid to late 90s. So that was another motivator to do this film because one of the g- takeaways was surprisingly a lot of the cast members were st- are still around or were still around when I found this movie like Tornado Lou only passed away a couple years ago herself and I'm pretty sure Winifred's still around and uh, all of these people were still kind of around and I for a present my wife had got had got me and we have it here in the room a signed picture of Lemonade Joe from the actor yeah Carol oh, wow. wow yeah yeah I mean it, it is, it stand, it's sitting right here. It's a picture in black and white, which is my only issue. I'm like, if it was bright yellow, baby, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I came here, I was like, oh, I don't see the autograph anywhere. And then it was here in the recording room. We need Joe to look at us sternly and lovingly. <laughs> but I'm really glad that you guys got an experience out of this. And who knows, maybe it will interest you to explore some other Czech films like it did for me, because there's a whole world out there of these films. And. This director in particular, his works are very, very good and very interesting. There's another one of his films that I haven't checked out, but it's on my watch list. It's on YouTube called Happy End, in which the whole entire film is in reverse. So the film starts off with the main character getting executed. So the credits are over his decapitated head, 
and then it rolls back onto his body and you see how he got to this point. And so it's a movie where the ending is happy because it's the start of what the terrible story was. <laughs> so is the, the Shrek uh, irreversible? Uh, damn it, Julio. I, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, is Monica Bellucci in it? I was going to make that joke. I, but no, the main character is the bartender from Lemonade Joe. The guy who just okay. switches bars no matter what. Um, <laughs> oh, my favorite song in the movie, and I would be remiss if I did not mention it, is Winifred's song <laughs> about Arizona. <laughs> A little ditty about Arizona. And she's she's got, like, no care in the world. She's got, no, like, a single thought in her head. And I like the commentary that's going on, that song of before when they were free and had beer and whiskey and whatever they wanted to drink, they wouldn't kill one another because they were just too drunk and happy and dumb. But then once they're given this lemonade and they're all straight shooters, everyone just fucking dies all the time now, horribly, and they treat it like perfect. Everything's working out the way she's, it should. She's singing about how men are like gentlemen and gentle to women and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and, and the image of her singing that are people fighting one another but in glorious slow motion. And of course the last two words, Ryan. Instead of bang bang or bing bang or whatever, it's it's uh... Pimph pump, Pimph pump. And I love that. I don't know what that is in Czech. I hope it's just that. It's That's the words that they use instead of bang bang or whatever. But I just love her innocence. And she's just like at the end of the song, she just points to the camera with both fingers and goes, piff, puff. And just, it ends. I just, I don't know. Like, I agree the songs aren't the most brilliant thing in the world to, to me. Like, none of them are particularly catchy. I can take or leave not knowing the lyrics but i do like that one i listen to that one and i love the opening song just the absurdity of it and you're trying to make sense of what he's saying multilingual gibberish multilingual gibberish and he's singing like too far have you i made the song's called called like (laughs) so far to to you i may or something yeah and it's just utter nonsense but uh yeah, Lemonade Joe, a big film. It has a, a big legacy for people from the Czech Republic and from people from Europe. A lot of people apparently saw this on German television growing up. It apparently, it, it's made a ripple, and I'm and I'm and I'm glad that it's surprisingly easy to find now, and that they have the film available for people who don't speak the language to to see it because. It is different. It is striking. And as we've said many times, it it does leave an impression. And it's well ahead of its time. Well ahead of its time. And you'll never see a movie like Lemonade Joe. And that is something to behold in itself. In a world now where we're used to every film just being a redo of another film and everything like this. And this film is obviously taking stuff from old westerns. It's still taking something, but it is reinventing it and pushing it to a different degree. And you can add this in your comedy western pile now, and it will be the only one like it. Yeah, I've tried. Well, you could you could remake Lemonade Joe today, and the twist would be that they would just play it straight. No, the twist would, you would be get, uh, Chris Chris Pratt would play Lemonade. No, Joe. the twist would be Chris Lilly would play every single character and wear different Hey-o. colors of skin and still get a Netflix deal out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I actually, that's funny you bring that up. Me and my sister just recently revisited uh, Angry Boys. Yeah. And uh, as uh, wildly incorrect as it is, it's still, there's some comedy to be had with that. Yeah. uh, We only touched upon briefly, but yes, this film, the biggest negative of it is inexplicable blackface. Um, 
they like the thing that and, and there's no po- there's no way to say this without coming across as like weird but like when you say that there's a film with black face in it you have certain expectations of what's going to be transpiring in the thing and they don't do any of it it's just he comes out in blackface and just shoots joe and they just have a shootout and that's it they don't do the typical things that you would expect from something like this or these older movies when you say oh there's going to be blackface you're thinking oh he's going to do like a full on song show, in yeah. blackface so, like he's dressed as a minstrel his character mm-hmm. is still doing that well, un- he plays a, uh, the trumpet right he plays the trumpet yeah. and that's it, about I, it that's the only thing he does yeah that that's what i thought it was i mean i i thought it was just that so that he could play the trumpet and then he just you know, kept the blackface for for the rest of the sequence. But honestly, I couldn't tell if it was meant to be uh, a commentary on blackface, on the use of blackface, or if it was just fuck it, let's use blackface <laughs> because you know he's gonna play the trumpet. Uh, yeah, uh, I I think it's funny though that it raised your expectations and then it didn't deliver when it came to how offensive the blackface was going to be. It like and as bad as this is in the context of the film. It's do- it doesn't make sense, yet it does, because the character they chose to do the blackface is the character you would choose to do it, because they are the villain with no redeeming qualities, who will go into any disguise to do despicable things. Like, he does blackface, sure, but the most horrid things he does in this movie is try to sexually assault a- one girl and wants to fuck her, and he goes out of his way to do so. And he dresses up like a blind old man to grope her. Like, there's all this kind of stuff, and he hates children, and like, it yeah, for, for us, for us, the blackface is like you know a huge taboo that you don't touch. For him, it's just another disguise. For him, it's just another disguise. It's just another yeah. means to an end. Well, and I and I appreciate in that regard that they chose that character because I'm used to all these older movies. And let's not forget, not even old movies. Like still currently, this year sparked a great conversation about racism and blackface and all this stuff and what you do with these movies do you get rid of them do you erase them do you put a warning what do you do chris lilly is he an evil monster all this kind of stuff is still prevalent today and i was thankful in a way that it wasn't our hero lemonade joe which i'm so used to in these movies like trading places a film that actually discusses racism still has dan Aykroyd in blackface for a whole fucking scene for no real reason (laughs) like so Bugs Bunny too, yeah. As much as I don't like it, I do at least um, note the fact that they chose the villain character to do it and it it just adds on top of the layer of this character is despicable and does despicable things. And also the other person who does, you know, drop the slur has the last name Badman. <laughs> yes, people who are like, well, get out of here. I don't, for whites only, it's still a guy called Badman. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else you want to touch upon with Lemonade, Joe Bartek? Oh, this is just a film we could gush about forever. <laughs> it is amazingly dumb and silly and smart and intelligent. It's all over the shop in terms of what it's trying to do. I mean, we keep saying it, but the end is just fucking absurd and amazing. It just keeps stacking on yeah, top of if... each other. And we have to say the corkscrew scene is one of the most brilliant pieces of comedy ever put to screen. <laughs> just... <laughs> He puts the corkscrew in his back and then screws it in. And I just love that Hogo Fogo replies like, ah, corkscrew, or another translation, you screwed up. And not only does he fall down, if you watch it, he spirals down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's yeah. great. And the, the way they come back to life is just 
basically reverse shots of them dying. It's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, this this isn't a film where you're meant to get pissed off at the Deus Ex Machina of like, oh no, they're alive. It's <laughs> if you really want it to be a real film, stop watching when they die. But really, it's it's just for fun. If you wanted to be a real film, you wouldn't be watching Lemonade Show in that way because the film fucking opens with ludicrous straight off the bat. A guy eats a a fucking glass as like yeah. it's just a snack. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you remember, he eats the the fiddle. But then yeah. there's other things he eats, the glass, the cane. The cane, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of a million things, like, gushing about, like, oh, I love this bit, I love that bit, but not really discussion. Like, the the fooey. Did you just say fooey? <laughs> <laughs> he said fooey about lemonade. This man's a lunatic. Get him out of here. <laughs> and we already mentioned the jump cuts, like, when... Ezra is really sad that his daughter is going to be, you know, sexually assaulted. Then she appears and it's like, my daughter, jump cut to him. Joe, jump cut to him. <laughs> I, I do love the visual gag of she's thinking at the grave of her mother, thinking about her future with Joe, and just a little image of the two of them together <laughs> over the gravestone. Yeah, where you normally have a picture of the deceased. <laughs> Just the absurdity of that. But yeah, this is a film where lots of crazy stuff, I mean... The ending with the corkscrew, it's my thing that I think about with Lemonade Joe. Just just the absurdity of it. Just the fact that he spirals down to the ground. It's not like he just falls. He just he has to spiral because he got corkscrewed. And that's amazingly <laughs> stupid and wonderful. And I I adore it to bits. And Your tornadoing days are over. Your, oh, <laughs> your tornadoing days are over, Julio. <laughs> Tornado Julio. She was she was probably my favorite. No, I, I wouldn't say she was my favorite character. She was definitely not the funniest. But when she got shot, I was actually bummed. So I was thrilled that everybody came back to life like five Agreed. minutes later. Did Agreed. you like how it was? Uh, I was gonna say, did you like how earlier in the movie she wore her little cosplay of Lemonade Joe? She had her own little Lemonade Joe <laughs> outfit when they were gonna kill him. I I think I just like that she had. Uh, it's not that she had an arc, but she she felt like somebody that had real emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe because she's the most relatable because she was in love with somebody that that treated her badly, mm. and she had a reaction to that, and then she changed her mind again. It was I don't know. I was I was engaged. Everybody was funny, but I was engaged with her emotionally. Mm. So that was that was I guess that's what stands out for me uh, uh, overall. In addition to everything that we've been talking about, all the all the funny stuff, I think that there was this character that was, uh, I guess, stood out because of how, you know, that cruel scene that we were talking about, that really, that's the moment that I kind of sat up and was like, oh, this is something completely different from what we've been seeing so far. Mm. So that was, in a scene uh, that, that was cool. blackface. Yeah, <laughs> I I agree. She stands out because she's one that would be in a serious Western and that would be a plot line. And she doesn't get a lot of comedy moments either. Like, she has funny stuff that she says. And her relationship with Doug Badman is great. And just the fact that they are brother and sister. And they never want to, and they never touch that at the end. They're just like, hey, we're all related. Happy-go-lucky. <laughs> they had the Luke and Leia moment where they kissed briefly. And it's like, oh, whoopsie. Yeah, she's also got, like, that satirical gag of, like, no matter what her motivation is or, like, her current feelings, it always comes back to, like, oh, but he's so dreamy. Yeah, he's oh, oh, he's so dreamy. Dreamy, and uh, you're right. She does, like she stands out because she's far more straight laced in comparison to everyone else. And, uh, and and her motive is like reinforced throughout the film. Like she always wants to be a better woman. And she wants that's to be constantly a, reinforced a better person. But everyone sees her as this whore. Which they never actually demonstrate that she's ever actually a whore, because every time we see her, she does not right. take the advances of men. It's like no, you are not the man who will change me. <laughs> 
Um, Alex, some wrap-up thoughts and things you want to mention, touch upon before we end this? Um, just kind of what I said earlier. In the, it's a movie that I was not expecting. Uh, you know, Pale Face, uh, uh, what we did with y'all uh, previously was definitely a movie that once I read, you know, the players involved in the time frame, I kind of knew what to expect and I still enjoyed it and I thought it was a good time. Uh, with this, I kind of just expected something a little bit similar, just of a, a different nationality. And what I got was, like I said, it was something that uh, is a style of comedy that is still pretty prevalent today and uh, predates some of the things that are attributed as like the uh, originators um, mm. by, you know, 10 years. And like we were talking about blazing saddles and things like that earlier. So uh, while I was not familiar with any of the players involved, what I got was completely surprising and something pretty fantastic in terms of just blowing me away. Um, so, my recommendation would be if anyone's listening to this and hasn't seen Lemonade Joe, hop on Amazon Prime because uh, I understand Ryan had mentioned the transfer earlier. I can attest that it is a fantastic transfer. Okay. Uh, you still there's some scratches in there and you see all the cigarette burns, but the actual picture itself is fantastic. Uh, the, the subtitles are pretty up to snuff, so I, I recommend that. And um, yeah, glad we agreed to do this just because I discovered like i said earlier i discovered this area and covered this blind spot uh i greatly enjoyed this so i guess thank you for having us uh no problem uh listening people make sure to check out the contrarians podcast uh we'll link their stuff in the description of this and you guys always pumping out some interesting movies and discussions of them and who knows what they're gonna who knows what they're gonna hit us up with next there's damned old contrarians <laughs> um i did it for adele Dinner for Adele, maybe the fall of the other Lipsky movie that's the killer plant movie, <laughs> where mm. the villain is still Hogo Fogo, but he's an old, old man in that. And <laughs> I don't want to ruin anything too much, but in, in Dinner for Adele, or Adele hasn't had her supper yet, Ezra Goodman is in the movie too, and he still has <laughs> his big beard, and his daughter tucks him into bed. And she puts a pillow, a specially made pillow, underneath his beard so that his beard also has some comfort while he sleeps. <laughs> See, that sounds hilarious, but we we just very recently had an experience with a movie that was so out there, so just weird, that it was really hard to actually argue against it because it was just so, you know, it didn't take itself seriously. Mm. If we had to do an episode, like, say, on Unlimited Joe, I, I think, I know we could do it, but it would be a lot of work because it's hard to make fun of something that's just not taking itself seriously. And it's staying you know? true to its own vision as well. Like there mm -hmm. are movies like this and like you said, the movie you covered recently and say David Lynch movies, you can pick his thing apart too, but like they're staying true to their mission statement, their vision and the integrity. And that's the thing. Like it's weird to think that Lemonade Joe has a mission statement and integrity but it does it does as a film it does yeah. and i i find it great that a silly film like this i'll watch a film like this and go hmm this film has lots of film integrity this has lots of layers and then when we'll talk about the dark knight rises i'm like i think christopher nolan doesn't give a fuck and he just oh, made no. this for nothing <laughs> and it's a film we discovered because you made up a running joke and it's yeah and like <laughs> It's just weird to think that a silly film like this, I, I like, has some merits to it because it does feel like it's staying true to its vision. While sometimes even bigger filmmakers that are auteurs, you could still walk away going, "I don't know." I think that was kind of not up to snuff type of deal. But 
again, I'm very thrilled that you guys all enjoyed it, and I hope you listening people out there have enjoyed the film and or seen it, and if not, and you still listen to this, there's still so much we haven't even touched upon, story elements we just didn't even touch, because the film is just, it's jam-packed. It's, it's full of it, and you can see why this is a, a touchstone for, for people as a film. You can see why this is a film that many people, be- it's a beloved film, and Hopefully over the years it will be one of those weird little foreign films that gets seen a little bit more and a little bit more from us English speakers and kind of gains a little bit more of a cult classic. Yeah, wait for the South Korean remake. Yeah, wait for wait for the Spike Lee remake of it in which he completely forgets the point <laughs> of the fucking movie. <laughs> and it's like his version um, of Old Boy. I like I like the I like the Old Boy, the Spike Lee's Old it's Boy. It's okay to be uh, wrong. More than the original old it's boy. Okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's... Just, just here's Spike Lee's old boy, right? Here it is. In the original old boy, the guy, the main character in the beginning, he's a drunk. And you see it because he's drinking and he's acting like a drunk and you see it visually. In the Spike Lee old boy, Josh Brolin's running around in the street and he literally screams, I'm so drunk right now. <laughs> So I can't wait for the Lemonade version. Oh, no, no. The Oliver Stone version would lead heavier into the politics of this movie and just make it so on-the-nose obvious. Because I guess, really, before we properly wrap up, what did did you think the political statements that this movie was making is? Like, do you think that this is a film that is strongly leaning towards communism or is it in the interim of being very anti communism and capitalism like what do you think because even on the wikipedia page they even mention many film theorists and anthropologists and all this kind of stuff still debate over what the film is actually sniping at and what its stance as a film is because still we gotta remember this was made in a country that was under the rule of the ussr at the time what do you think bartek you've seen this several times we always joke and laugh about how this is funny because it's soviet western but we we rarely ever talk about what we think the political or like the ideology it's leaning towards is yeah it's i can i can definitely believe that people are debating over it because i always just think of like the it's a film that's trying to be funny and maybe it doesn't want to take a stance so that it can explore all facets but mm. yeah like you say it's it's made in a communist country where the hero is being depicted as a capitalist but he's also subtextually of a bad guy <laughs> yeah and they critique and they comment and critique and look at him very critically for his capitalistic ideals yeah i i almost want to say that they just wanted to take a neutral stance and make fun of both sides i guess what do you guys think see when i was watching it like i said not having any of the cultural context i was to me i was trying to read it as a critique of the western genre and by extension just american culture so it you know i would have to rewatch it to give you like a more thought out analysis of what i think it says on on a bigger canvas as far as the actual like uh about communism and the soviet union but as a reading it as just uh a czech filmmaker giving us his version of what could be called the ultimate american genre it's i think it's it's pretty fascinating if not extremely focused because that's i mentioned it earlier i couldn't really figure out what he was saying about westerns uh 
until maybe you know halfway through when we have that that scene that we've been discussing with with uh with Lou and and Joe. But even then, I guess the idea of painting the the Western genre as populated by hypocrites and just very selfish and self-involved people that they're all out uh, just for their own uh, benefit and not really caring about anybody else. Even when they look like they're heroes, they're really uh, self-centered and uh, self-serving. That's kind of like what my reading this time was. Mm. Um, Just basically the Soviet Union maybe telling America, telling the United States, you know, you're not that much better. (laughs) And so I, it, that's my first impression, just which is pretty superficial because, like I said, I just went in not knowing anything, so I was just picking up from what little I know, my my limited experience of westerns, my limited experience of uh, uh, just Soviet cinema in general. Uh, but I have no doubt that there's more to it, just that, that you can just delve into mm. because it it definitely it, it seems like. It would be weird if there wasn't. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a classic it's just for a such reason. A, uh, rich uh, subject matter. Yeah. What about you, Alex? You said you were reading stuff up about the film while watching it, but what's your 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 takeaway from all of it? Well, Homeboy, the guy who played Lemonade Joe, was a member of the communist or a supporter of the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia uh, at mm. this time. Um, so, I think that plays into it, and I think you know you you cited. Um, uh, John Wayne a little bit earlier in this and you know the I what I feel this movie and again it could be because it is a, a, a parody of the western style of films but um, more so than you know your John Wayne's or you know uh, Clint Eastwood outlaw Josie, uh, Josie Wells type stuff this movie definitely goes out of its way to almost to a comedic extent establish this is the good guy this is the guy that you you get behind and you support no matter what these are the bad guys and this is why they're the bad guys. And, you know, you shouldn't don't question the good guy and his motives. And yeah. like I said, that's played almost <laughs> to um, a, a comedic extent with the whole idea that he's just there to sell shit. He's just there because he's a salesman with like ruthless tendencies. But the movie, the narrative it tries to craft is that do not question what he's doing. He's doing it because it's good, which I think plays into an interesting idea when this movie's supposed to be a common commentary of against for whatever communism however you want to interpret it i think it definitely adds to the mystique of what the movie's trying to say yeah i i think yeah i think that it obviously has very communist leanings especially because of the people involved and the time period it is but uh, you also have to remember like with czechoslovakian history they had like a really weird time they the they came out of the first world war they they formed their own thing they separated from the uh austrian hunger uh, hung- uh, the austro-hungary empire uh, austro-hungary empire and then world war Two, they got occupied by the nazis and then after that they get the russians and then after that they separate into their own two states of countries and it's this thing of like, yeah, maybe the guy who played Joe was uh, a communist guy, but we don't know necessarily about the filmmakers. And I would imagine with most countries, Bartek, you, 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 we're Polish. You, you can speak about how your mum grew up in Poland when it was underneath the communist rule. There mm-hmm. was still animosity over the fact that communism was in charge of the country, whether the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at the time had that overwhelming sense or not. 
that can be something mentioned to us in the comments uh, from people, but I get the sense from the film that there is a definite, we don't like the West, but also let's still have subtle comments about how what we're going through right now isn't great either. I actually find there's moments in the film that are genuinely haunting when you think about it. Like, Joe deflowers and corrupts Winifred. There's this moment where they're singing at the bar and she's like throwing the flyers in the air and then she just like removes the bottom part of her skirt so you could see her sexy legs and garters and she's like kicking the air and it's like remember when she was like the suffragette lady at the beginning of the movie like covered in clothes and she was like the puritanical and joe has just warmed her up with his his ideals so much that she's practically just whoring herself out as much as Tornado Lou was for Trigger Whiskey. Yeah, but Ezra Goodman uh, approved. But Ezra Goodman approved, so it's fine. And at the end, the solution to the problem is how about we just combine both things, like both worldviews of Trigger Whiskey and Lemonade and make it this one thing and everyone can be happy. You could have an alternative. You could just be happy. And then the movie just ends like, yep, everyone's happy at the end. Even the guy who's like, "Uh, too bad I'm a villain and I can't enjoy happiness. And they're like, no, 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 no. You, You have a place too. You have a place with us underneath our values and our rules. You because can accom- your family. <laughs> you can accommodate what we want. And it's like haunting and kind of scary. But also, like you said, Alex, it's so comedically driven that you can't help but have a smile on your face at the end when the guy comes over. It's like, you've got millions and millions of dollars. No, billions of dollars. And they're like, whoa, and the oil spewing out of the ground and all of that. But yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one to think about like that too. Because again... What comedy movies do you question these things about? Any? Really? Not this as much. This is mu- 40. What was that? <laughs> no, I was kidding. Oh, this is 40, movie. but that's... <laughs> uh, any Jason Bateman comedy, I question it all the time. I'm like, is capitalism a good thing when we have Jason Bateman comedies? I don't know. Mr. Hamburger. Mr. Hamburger, yeah, as we call him. Whatever guests said that Jason Bateman looks exactly like a hamburger as a person. I don't, I don't know what, what that means. <laughs> but, like a tasty hamburger. That's tasty. So that's it. Uh, recommendation for next episode is from the listening people. Yes. This is one of our very early recommendations, and I kind of hinted to it in a brief way. We next week are going to be doing the 1966 Batman movie with Adam West. Okay. When we talked about The Dark Knight Rises on our show, we talked about Adam West's Batman because there are a lot of Adam West Batman elements in The Dark Knight Rises. And one of our guest's friends... Who was a big? He's a big fan of Adam West's Batman. Said, "Well, you got to do that. You got to do that at some point." And I have been rewatching the Adam West Batman TV show over the last year, so it will be a good, good, good thing to go to. So, the Adam West Batman movie, the 1966 classic movie with the shark repellent and everything and the bomb we all know it in some way but if you haven't seen it make sure to check it out in the interim it's it's a fun time to be had yeah i can't wait i've never seen it and if you are a loser who uh, who's like i don't like my batman fun then just don't bother man (laughs) you're a salad I can't wait for the Robert Pattinson movie because from all I've seen of it is he's they're, weirdly they're taking a lot of cues from Adam West's Batman like visually like his cat there's a lot of stuff going on we'll talk about it next week but uh, so check that out you can check us out and the contrarians out on those social medias we have our Facebooks and Twitter as do you guys um, so that stuff will be 
in all of the description and email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com to let us know your thoughts, questions, queries and concerns and give us recommendations. Is there something that you wish we touched upon with Lemonade Joe? What are your views on Lemonade Joe? Do you think it's a communist masterpiece or a subversive piece of text? Uh... Let us let us know. And if we got anything wrong about its historical context, we'd be very interested to know. I yeah, guess. yeah. I w- I've never actually spoken to a ch- an actual Czech person who has a lifetime with this movie. I, we we only have a few years of a relationship with this movie. I would love to hear someone who who this is their Blazing Saddles, right? Where we all grew up with Blazing Saddles and we understand a context about Blazing Saddles. I'd love to hear someone's perspective. Uh, where that's theirs with this movie. So hit us up. Um, any wise words of wisdom you contrarians want to leave us on? Um, I was thinking that if uh, if this movie was fresh in the tomato meter, it's it's got no tomato meter score, by the way. So yeah, we need it. Hopefully, this episode, Ryan, makes it, it makes even a bigger splash. <laughs> but uh, if it was fresh and I had to argue against it. My strategy would have been to say that it was trying too hard to be funny, and that it would have been it would have benefited from uh, from just playing it straight. Yeah, I don't know if Alex had a strategy that he could have applied, but uh, yeah, parting words is just watch this movie; it's good. All the colors are wrong. There was no purple tint. <laughs> there was no purple tint. Where was the purple tint? What, what does purple mean, Ryan? Uh, erection. <laughs> <laughs>